The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. here at CNBC Global Headquarters, and here is your 5 at 5. We begin with what's happening at this hour. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen in China as Washington and Beijing's trade war shows no signs of ending. Then on Wall Street, stocks looking to extend yesterday's losses as investors look ahead to a string of jobs data in the next two days. And... Hours early and already 10 million users, meta platforms that officially launches threads, what some people are calling a Twitter killer. Plus the Biden administration appealing a ruling, barring it from mingling with social media companies. And then later in the show, the state of freight and a first on CNBC interview with the CEO of XPO Logistics. It's Thursday, July the 6th, 2023, and you're watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Good morning. Welcome to Worldwide Exchange. I'm Frank Holland. Thank you for starting your day with us. Let's kick off the half an hour with a check on U.S. stock futures with the major averages looking to extend yesterday's losses. You can see it's red across the board. All three indices down almost a half a percent. Right now, the Dow looks like it would open up more than 150 points lower. But as always, we say it's early. We're also checking the bond market, looking at the movement on the benchmark 10-year. Now, this is noticeable or notable, I should say, right now. The 10-year at 397 it's pretty much back at the level it was right before the SVB collapse, something a lot of people are looking at in the bond market. We continue to see it tick higher and higher as we get closer to the jobs report and also the next Fed meeting in about three weeks. We're also looking at the energy sector, where we're all seeing some upside movement here. We're looking at WTI up over a half a percent of basically 72.20 a barrel. Brent crude almost at 79, uh, excuse me, 77 a barrel, up almost a half a percent. The market's really trying to look at demand fears out of China. Also, uh, some other uh, cuts when it comes to Saudi Arabia and Russia, kind of creating some movement here in the market. Again, up over a half a percent, almost a half a percent for Brent crude. We're going to talk much more about the global energy market in just a moment. But first, we're going to turn to our top story this morning. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen arriving in Beijing for three days of meetings with her Chinese counterparts. These sit-downs come just days after China imposed new export restrictions on two metals that are crucial to the fabrication of semiconductors. Here in the U.S., the Biden administration is also considering new restrictions for China related to artificial intelligence and cloud services. Our Eunice Yoon is on the ground in Beijing. Eunice, what do we know about today's agenda? Well, Frank, uh, the Treasury Secretary is expected to be arriving right around now. And on the agenda, it's likely that she's going to be meeting with President Xi Jinping's top economics team, the new team, many of whom she's unfamiliar with. She's also supposed to be meeting with the U.S. business community and uh, to communicate directly with what the Treasury has described as areas of concern uh, with the Chinese. She is also expected to discuss global challenges, um, namely climate change, as well as debt distress in poorer nations. Now, based on official commentary as well as state media reports, the Chinese are seeking what uh, they've called uh, signs of U.S. sincerity. So that would be some combination 
of ending or reducing Trump-era tariffs on Chinese goods, lifting sanctions on Chinese companies and individuals, and stopping export curbs. Now, the Chinese argument has been that the tariffs only exacerbate U.S. inflation, that the uh, export curbs as well as the sanctions disrupt trade and investment with U.S. companies. And they believe that Yellen is uh, quite a pragmatic person. Um, In the past, she's described... Um, at least expressed some skepticism over the benefits of the tariffs and also has uh, called decoupling disastrous. Uh, She has also said that she would like to find common ground, and there's a lot of reasons to believe that the Chinese also want to find common ground because of the poor condition now of the economy, as well as the growing concerns that um, other countries are looking to de-risk or cut their reliance on China. This not only includes Washington, but also uh, the countries in the EU, as well as in Asia. Eunice, I want to turn back to something you mentioned a little bit earlier in your report. As you mentioned, China seeking uh, some sincerity from the U.S. Yellen's China visit, it's almost five years to the day since the Trump administration imposed those tariffs that you were just talking about. How big of an issue exactly. is that expected to be on the agenda? President Biden's kept them in place, as you mentioned, and also Janet Yellen has pushed back on it. Yeah, it's expected to be um, on the agenda. The Chinese very much have it, want the tariffs to be lifted. They've expressed that uh, several times in the past, both officially as well as in the state media. Uh, but it looks unclear as to what the Chinese would be willing to give themselves in order to reach that type of compromise. In fact, this week, uh, Xinhua, the state news agency, has been running a series on um, what the correct course of action should be for U.S.-China relations. And uh, Xinhua has said that the crux of the problem is the U.S.'s, what they described as wrong perception of China. So um, that, as well as the fact that these export curbs are still, uh, that the Chinese have imposed, um, are still uh, going to, to happen. The Commerce Ministry has actually defended them, saying that this is international practice Uh, So all of this really, I think, uh, Frank, leads people to believe that there's probably not going to be a major breakthrough when it comes to really altering the course of policy that Beijing's willing to to do. All right, Eunice, thank you. Our Eunice Yoon, live in Beijing. Turning now to Silicon Valley and Meta Platforms, launching what some people are calling a Twitter killer and launching it hours ahead of schedule. Our Silvana Hanau is here with the very latest on threads. And the question is, are you going to friend me on threads, Silvana? (laughs) First, I got to download threads and then then we'll see what happens. (laughs) All right, Frank. Well, that's right. So Meta officially debuting its new app to take on Twitter threads. That's the company's text focused messaging app and is officially live in more than 100 countries after getting an earlier than expected launch hitting app stores last night. Meta CEO Mark Zuckerberg writing his first message on the app saying, quote, let's do this. Welcome to Threads. Zuckerberg adding in another message that at least 10 million users have signed up within the first several hours. And much like Twitter, the app features short text posts that users can like, repost and reply to. The rollout of threads coming as Twitter continues to grapple with various decisions on the direction of that app by CEO Elon Musk, with some analysts and industry followers dubbing threads a, quote, Twitter killer. The app also marks the latest shot fired in the ongoing rivalry between Zuckerberg and Musk. The rollout of threads providing a bump to shares of Meta ahead of the open with shares climbing higher, Frank. 
Yeah, shares up uh, one and a half percent. They actually closed about three percent higher yesterday. So a lot of excitement yes. about a Twitter killer. We're going to talk much more about this later on the show. And Savannah, we'll see you later on the show. See you later, Frank. Thank you. All right. Now we're going to turn to the energy markets. Let's turn to Vienna, Austria, where OPEC is holding its annual seminar, looking more and more like an actual policy meeting as major oil producers look to balance production with recession worries. Our Dan Murphy, he's on the ground speaking with some of the conference's most high-profile attendees. Dan, good morning. What are you hearing there? Frank, good morning to you. Well, oil prices steady but range-bound as we see top oil CEOs and policymakers gathering here in Vienna for day two of the OPEC seminar. The mood on the ground here, Frank, is just one of pure optimism. They're expecting a recovery in demand in the second half as the Chinese economic story continues to improve. And I've been speaking with some of Big Oil's biggest players, including the Aramco CEO, Amin Nasser, who says this current pricing environment, when we see oil at around the 70 USD handle, is still very conducive for oil and gas investments. Listen into what he had to say. We are making big investment. We are, our guidance is 45 to 55 billion dollars for this year, and it's growing in the in the years ahead. So that shows our confidence on the future. We are we made a big investment in China, two big investment in China. We made a seven billion dollar in Korea. We have major investment in Malaysia, and we're looking at additional investment. So we have a lot of confidence. Asia is growing. So the question is, if demand is so good, why haven't we seen prices going up? It's another question that I've been asking, and it's a question that I put to the UAE Energy Minister, Suhail Mazrui. He also weighed in on the pricing outlook here and says he's not so concerned about demand. His bigger concern is supply. Here's why. But even though you don't see these sentiments affecting the, uh, the, uh, the, the price, and the, what's important is not the price. What's important is the level of investments that are coming to the market to balance, to balance the longer or the medium-term uh, view of the supply. And that's uh, if something worries me. That's what worries me, the medium to long-term uh, supply, not the demand. When it comes to the overall OPEC policy-making process moving forward, you also really do get the sense on the ground here, Frank, that these ministers are willing to do, quote, whatever is necessary to stabilise this market. That's the message that we heard from the Saudi energy minister yesterday. And, of course, it's a message we're also hearing from other top policymakers. They are optimistic about the second half, but they're also saying that they're going to be precautionary and ready to do whatever they need to to make sure that the market stays stable. So, Dan, great reporting as always. I've been watching. I, I want to go back to your previous interview just for a moment. It seems like there might be some mixed messages. A very interesting comment. He said it's not about the price. It's about the level of investment. Explain that a bit more because it really seems like it's about the price right now. Exactly. You know, this is really interesting as well, Frank, because it is ultimately about the price. You have these large Gulf economies that need to have higher oil prices in order to continue their economic diversification story, in order to continue to transform their economies and societies. But at the same time, what they also need to have is a price range that's conducive for the investment environment. They need to see investment into oil and gas infrastructure in order to guarantee energy security and supply. If the price is too high, okay, that's great for their exports, but it 
it means it's too expensive to invest. So what they need to see is a stable market that ensures a positive gain for both consumers and producers. And ultimately, that's what they're working to provide here. But I understand your point on the mixed messaging for sure. All right, Dan Murphy, live in Vienna. Thank you, as always. Great reporting. All right, a lot more to come here on Worldwide Exchange, including the one word that investors have to know today. But first, investors bracing for a slew of jobs data just one day after the Fed's minutes revealed just how strong the central bank's commitment is to keeping rates higher for longer. Plus, much more on Jane Ellen's trip to China and how she hopes to strike a different tone than the nearly one dozen CEOs that have visited the country this year alone. And then later, the state of freight and a first on CNBC interview with the CEO of XPO. A very busy hour still ahead when Worldwide Exchange returns. Stay with us. While no one knows what tomorrow may bring, Bridgestone is working toward a more positive outlook. With innovations like developing a tire using 75% recycled and renewable materials. It's just one of the many ways Bridgestone is making a difference today for generations to come. Because that's what really matters. Bridgestone, solutions for your journey. Visit whatreallymatters.com to learn more. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Futures are pointing to some modest pressure at the open. A similar story playing out as European trading gets underway. Let's send it over to our Juliana Tattlebaum in our London newsroom with the early trade. Juliana, good morning. How are investors responding there to the U.S. Fed minutes? Frank, good morning. While sentiment is pretty downbeat, investors appear jittery after those Fed minutes came through and now pricing in the prospect of higher rates, further rate hikes for longer, uh, further rate hikes for not only the Fed, but central banks around the Western world. So downbeat trade across every major region here in Europe. Every sector is trading lower. Uh, we are off the lows of the morning in some markets, but still more than 1% down for every major region. The CAC 40 over in France under performing down 1.8 percent. FTSE 100 down about 1.2 percent. From a sector perspective, it is the travel and leisure stocks getting hit hardest. So it is certainly a risk off a start to today's trading session, extending the losses that we saw yesterday. It's also worth noting this weakness comes after a very soft handover from Asia. The Hong Kong market dropped 3 percent overnight. So global sentiment has really taken a hit over the last 24 hours, Frank. All right. Our Juliana Tettelbaum live in our London newsroom. Juliana, thank you. All right, turn our attention back stateside. Investors are awaiting a lot of U.S. economic data today, including the ADP employment report, jobless claims, and jolts, each of which could influence the direction of Fed policy. Minutes from the June meeting out yesterday reaffirming expectations that rates could remain higher for longer. Traders are now pricing in an 89% chance of a 25 basis point hike when the Fed meets in just three weeks. Let's bring in Seema Shah, global, chief global strategist at Principal Asset Management. Seema, good morning. Good morning. All right. So we just talked about it here. Uh, Fed showed uh, Fed minutes showed a very hawkish Fed. The majority of members actually favoring two more hikes, cuts all but off the table. How does that shape your view of the markets going forward in the second half and also the possibility of a recession? 
So it's actually very similar to to what we've been thinking. And I think you have seen the market expectations certainly move to this more hawkish um, outlook for the Fed with continued hikes. Um, And as Julian had said, this is a higher for longer outlook that we're now starting to get from the Fed. For the market, that's a really important narrative. So we've had a wonderful first half of the year where the risk assets have done extremely well. Uh, You've had high hopes for maybe a soft landing and also hopes for a, a soon coming end to Fed tightening. But as we are now becoming more aware, more familiar with the idea that the Fed is likely to continue hiking, that's unfortunately going to hit market sentiment through the second half of the year. And the further that the Fed hikes, of course, a greater the chance of an economic slowdown. So unfortunately, okay. that is likely to weigh on risk assets this year. All right. So Fed minutes do give us some insight. But in all fairness, it's backwards looking. But now we're looking ahead. The Fed said it's data dependent. Tomorrow, we have the monthly jobs report, really the big one. One of the things they've been watching is wage growth. And while the jobs numbers themselves have been kind of up and down, and had some surprises, wage growth's actually gone down fairly steady. So I want to ask you, wage growth, total jobs, is there any metric in this report that could possibly change the Fed's mind about a hike, at least in the next meeting? It's quite unlikely. I mean, within the minutes, they did specifically mention the jobs report, the fact that payrolls have been very, very strong. If you were to see a significant downward surprise, so a really major fall in payrolls, uh, then maybe that's enough to to change the Fed's mind. You'd probably need to see inflation data also softening in order to, to push in that in direction. But certainly, we're not expecting the jobs data tomorrow to show considerable weakness. Uh, we're expecting that to come through as you get close to the fourth quarter. But for tomorrow, that's not going to be enough. And as you said, the wage growth numbers have been slowing, but not slowing enough. So they need to see further evidence of that and really overall putting together the um, the jobless claims data today, the jobs numbers out today, as okay. well as the jobless report, the jobs report tomorrow. Together, that's going to give them an idea of how tight the labour market is is at the moment, and they need to see this, the labour market starting to unwind and loosening over the coming months. All right, give us a sense how you're looking at the second half of the year. What sectors are you looking at, uh, looking to for opportunity? Are there some sectors that maybe you're just trying to stay away from? Well, so we have had um, a fairly significant overweight technology so far this year, really in that mega cap tech space, which fortunately has done very well. Um, Some segments of that is looking quite frothy. It's very, very expensive. It's fairly overvalued. Uh, And as you're seeing expectations for Fed tightening to increase, unfortunately, that's likely to weigh on some of those stocks. So we don't think this is a good time to increase exposure to technology. Uh, but certainly if there is a bit of a pullback, we would want to increase our exposure, given the, the very significant secular AI forces behind that. Uh, in terms of other sectors, we think that given we're moving towards a slowdown, this probably isn't the best time to be increasing your exposure to cyclicals. So really focusing on more of the defensive areas, utilities, healthcare, those are the areas which are likely to do well. Um, and as services start to slow down over the coming months, maybe consumer discretionary parts of that is where we want to avoid. All right. Seema Shah, thank you very much for your time and your insight. Coming up here on Worldwide Exchange, hours early and already 10 million strong, why threads could have Elon Musk worrying about a lot more than a hypothetical cage match with Meta's Mark Zuckerberg. We got much more Worldwide Exchange back after this. From a flat tire in the city to a dead battery on a distant drive, AAA is partnering with T-Mobile for Business to accelerate response times and get more drivers back on the road fast. 
Our nationwide connectivity powers location telematics, so AAA's fleet can find stranded drivers quickly while being fully equipped with the in-vehicle tools to have answers when they get there. This is elevating the member experience. This is AAA with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Let's get a check on more of this morning's headlines. NBC's Jessica Layton's in New York with the very latest. Jessica, good morning. Hi, Frank. Good morning. The U.S. military says Russian jets harassed American drones that were on an anti-ISIS mission in Syria. They say the planes dropped flares in front of the unmanned aircraft, and one jet engaged its afterburner right by one of the drones. The interference forced drone operators to conduct evasive maneuvers, U.S. Central Command slamming what it called this reckless behavior. The Secret Service is still trying to figure out who left a small bag of cocaine in the West Wing of the White House. The substance will undergo a full chemical analysis, while the bag will also now be tested for DNA and fingerprints. White House Press Secretary Karine Jean-Pierre says she's confident the Secret Service will get to the bottom of this situation. Advocates for abortion rights in Ohio are working to get a proposed amendment onto the November ballot, which would enshrine access to abortions in Ohio's Constitution. They say they have have delivered more than 700,000 signatures to state officials, which is nearly twice what they needed. A law in Ohio that bans nearly all abortions has been temporarily blocked by a state judge. And get this, a good Samaritan in Virginia came to the rescue of a skunk on the side of the road after he realized its little head was lodged inside a plastic cup. It took Jeffrey Simpson several attempts and some close calls with passing cars, but he was ultimately able to free the animal, and amazingly, without getting sprayed once. Simpson said, I wish people would stop littering. That is one good and brave Samaritan. Frank, send it back to you. That, he's definitely a good Samaritan. That could have been one of those situations where no good deed goes unpunished. Because <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> very easily could have got skunked there. Jessica Layton, great to see you. Thank you. All right, straight ahead here on Worldwide Exchange, the White House not going down without a fight. After a judge ruled, it can no longer speak with social media companies as it deals with allegations of censorship. The latest twist in just a moment. Much more Worldwide Exchange in just a moment. All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. We're showing you some developing news. news. Janet Yellen just arriving in Beijing. She's there to meet with her Chinese counterparts as part of three days of meeting to talk about the U.S.-China relationship. Uh, a lot to discuss when it comes to both tech, cloud computing, also minerals used to create semiconductors. Again, a three-day meeting. Janet Yellen there, the U.S. Treasury Secretary, meeting with her Chinese counterparts. We're going to talk much more about this later on the show. All right, time now for a check. And the half an hour of the U.S. stock futures, we begin looking at the right across the board here. We're seeing the Dow Jones looks like it will open up about 150 points lower at the open. As always, we say it's early. All three indices down just about a half a percent. We're also watching the bond market. We've seen some movement to the upside in the bond market, especially with the benchmark 10-year right now at 3.97, basically back where it was right before the SBB collapsed. These bond yields moving a bit higher as we wait for a number of key economic reports, including today, the jolts tomorrow, the monthly jobs report. And we are also looking at energy, specifically the oil market. We had our Dan Murphy in Vienna uh, looking at some of what's going on there. Oil leaders talking about the market and pricing right now. We're seeing WTI crude basically right now up a half a percent. Brent crude up about a third of a percent. Natural gas basically flat at this time. All right, time now for a check on some of this morning's top corporate stories. Our Silvana Hanau is back with those. Silvana. 
Hey, Frank. Well, Bank of America becoming the latest large U.S. bank to hike its quarterly dividend after passing the Fed's recent stress test. B of A revealing it will boost the payout from 22 cents to 24 starting in the third quarter. The bank, unlike some of its peers, held back a dividend decision last week, citing conversations with the Fed, citing results between the central bank stress test and the company's own under the Frank Dodd Act. The Biden administration appealing a federal judge's ruling restricting federal agencies and officials from having contact with social media companies about certain content. The Department of Justice plans to ask the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals, seen as this country's most conservative appeals court, to review the ruling. And the Commodity Futures Trading Commission reportedly ruling that crypto lender Celsius and its former CEO broke regulations before its collapse. Bloomberg reports the CFTC's findings come as the regulator is set to vote this month on whether to bring a case on the matter to federal court. Bankruptcy filings show the SEC and federal prosecutors in Manhattan have also been investigating Celsius, Frank. All right, Savannah, thank you very much. Our Savannah now. All right, turning back to the social media development this morning, Meta officially debuting its new app to take on Twitter. It's called Threads. It's the company's text-focused messaging app. It is officially live in more than 100 countries. Meta CEO Mark Zuckerberg writing on the app that at least 10 million users have signed up within the first several hours. Much like Twitter, the app features short text posts that users can like repost and even reply to the rollout providing a bump to shares of meta ahead of the open right now looking at shares of meta up almost uh, actually over one and a half percent kind of between one and a half and two for much more on the launch of threads and whether it really is a twitter killer let's bring in tim higgins technology reporter at the wall street journal tim good morning good morning so tim i think first question are you on threads yet are you one of the people joining right now and what do you expect for this platform that's kind of an offshoot of instagram yeah i got on last night and it was very simple. Uh, and one of the strengths and one of the benefits that Meta has here is that it just quickly imports your username from Instagram and just you're on the go immediately and finding people that you know. And it was almost like the first day of school uh, last night as people were kind of discovering how it worked. The question will be kind of going forward, will it pull away users from Twitter? Will it siphon away that uh, important uh, community aspect that Twitter has developed over the years where a kind of a culture culture conversation occurs whenever something big or something not so big is going on each day? Will there be a character of the day on threads that people are just uh, compelled to go look at on a daily, hourly basis? So I think you're using the word community very loosely here, Tim. I've been on Twitter. I don't know if it's community. Um, So one question I have for you, what makes this really worth it for Meta? What's the big upside? Because I'm looking at Twitter's revenues um, back when it was a publicly traded company back in 2021, $5 billion. That's almost chump change to a company like Meta. What's the best case scenario as far as revenue when it comes to threats? Well, you're hitting on a cut on the head there. The, the, the future of social media, I, I think a lot of people would agree, is in video, is in short videos, is kind of the, the world that you see with TikTok. And you see that Meta is kind of moving and that has been moving in that area. That's where the, the really the knife fight is. What uh, Threads represents is probably really incremental potential for Meta. It's a company with, with more than $100 billion in annual revenue. Uh, you know, so $5 billion, if they're lucky, you know, isn't much uh, for them. But it could be very material for Twitter 
if uh, Meta is able to siphon away that important ad base uh, that Twitter depends upon for its life, it could be uh, very uh, material for them if that's uh, really what takes place here. So does this uh, launch of Threads, does this change the so-called year of efficiency narrative? Because launching a new product, I'm not saying it's going to cost billions and billions of dollars, but it does take some investment and it pulls away from some of the focus that a lot of people have applauded Mark Zuckerberg and Metaphor this year. You know, this isn't uh, launching uh, a VR headset. This isn't years and years of of, uh, kind of research and development. This is something that's kind of in their wheelhouse. I, you know, I don't know how much it costs, but I can't imagine it costs that much in the grand scheme of things for a company of that size. Uh, And that's, you know, kind of the the challenge here is that Elon Musk, in a lot of ways, gave Mark Zuckerberg an opening uh, this past weekend uh, when he started limiting the amount of posts that users could read on Twitter in a world where social media companies are racing to try to get you engaged as long as possible. And it's clear that uh, Meta and Mark Zuckerberg saw that opening where they've been working on this for months and just pounced. So last question, Tim, does this impact any other social media companies? Does this impact Snap or Pinterest? Does this have a broader impact or is Twitter the only company that this possibly encroaches on? This seems to be a Twitter threads a knife brawl uh, that is going to play out in the weeks and months to come. All right. Tim Higgins, thank you for your time and your insight. Appreciate it. Thank you. All right. Turn our attention now to China. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen arriving in Beijing this morning for three days of meetings with senior Xi officials. Her visit will be the first major test of a policy she outlined in April geared towards defending U.S. national security interest without holding back China economically. It also comes just days after China imposed new export restrictions on two metals crucial to the fabrication of semiconductors in the U.S. There are also reports that the U.S. is considering new restrictions for China as well when it comes to cloud services and artificial intelligence. Joining me now with the implications for Wall Street and investors is Raymond James, Washington policy analyst at Mills. Ed, good morning. Good morning, Frank. All right, so Ed, give us a sense, uh, near term at least, what kind of impact do you expect this visit by Janet Yellen to have? And does this visit, does it potentially move us closer to de-risking or decoupling? Well, Frank, I'd say that for China, de-risking and decoupling are the same thing, and, and de-risking just sounds a little bit better they don't think there's any difference whatsoever. I think near term, this meeting is has to be viewed as a positive. Think about the kind of real freeze that there has been with not having senior officials in China. Uh, essentially, since the beginning of COVID, China was shut down. Now, in a series of a couple of weeks, we had Secretary of State Blinken. Now we have Treasury Secretary Yellen there. So near term, this is a way of building confidence between these two governments to maintain those high-level negotiations. Now, on the side, we are absolutely moving forward with some of the tech restrictions that started under the Trump administration, continued under the Biden administrations. That's what investors have really cared about uh, with this relationship, because those come with a lot of uncertainty. So right now, we're actually looking at Janet Yellen arriving in Beijing. We're showing some tape right now. She's getting off the plane, shaking hands with a lot of officials. So you mentioned the Trump administration tariffs. Yellen's visit to China, actually just about five years to the day since the Trump administration imposed those tariffs. President Biden's kept them in place despite Janet Yellen's pushback. How big of a topic is this for this conversation that she's having with these different officials? So I'm sure they're going to bring it up. I'm sure they're going to bring up the Commerce Department restrictions on semiconductors, on, you know, kind of the blacklist that exists. But that doesn't mean any of those are going away. What I really see that what we're going to see here is a desire 
just to have conversation because in November, General Secretary Xi is supposed to come to the United States as part of the APEC summit. So they want to have some high level conversations before President Biden and President Xi are in the same country. All right. So I want to ask you about something else. Uh, in recent weeks, we've seen a lot of different CEOs visiting China. Yellen's just the latest senior White House official. But those CEOs have a lot of big names. We're talking Apple's Tim Cook. We're talking Citi's Jane Frazier, Elon Musk. We talked a lot about that. Um, why are so many people visiting China? Why isn't China making the same effort to visit the U.S.? And what does this all mean to have a cabinet level official go there to try to figure out how to de-risk, decouple, however you want to describe it? Yeah, so it's just restarting some of these negotiations, restarting some of this relationship. China is the world's second largest economy. So it makes sense to have the Treasury Secretary from the world's largest economy going to the world's second largest economy. It's such a large market. Ultimately, I do think a lot of these tech restrictions are absolutely staying in place. But what you see from a lot of U.S. businesses is they're hoping it's going to be as limited as possible. The National Security Advisor, Jake Sullivan, talks about this as a small lawn with a really high fence. They want to make sure that anything that's not inside that lawn, that China remains an open market for U.S. businesses, as well as every other kind of market in the world. All right, Ed Mills, great to see you as always. Thank you. Thank you. Coming up here on Worldwide Exchange, a first on CNBC interview with the CEO of XPO, talking the state of freight and what the second half may look like for the economically important sector. Much more Worldwide Exchange, back in a moment. All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Time now for your global briefing, a check on the headlines, dominating conversations on trading desks all around the world. We begin with Volkswagen saying it's ready to act as, as China looks to clamp down on exports of raw materials. Volkswagen spokespeople telling Reuters that gallium and germanium were especially critical future vehicles, including autonomous driving functions. On the other hand, Taiwan Semi, the world's largest chip maker, says it does not expect any direct impact from those export restrictions. Reuters also reporting that Airbus delivered 316 jets in the first half of the year. That will mark a 6% increase. Airbus, which is aiming to deliver 720 jets for the year, declined, declined to comment ahead of that data being released tomorrow. Also, shares of Embracer tumbling in overseas trading. This after the gaming group raised roughly $180 million in a share issue directed to institutional investors. And Toyota is reportedly planning to suspend operations at a packaging line after a cyber attack at Japan's biggest port. Reuters reporting the line specifically focuses on export-bound components and work is expected to be stalled for at least two days. All right, time now for your morning call sheet where we check on a few on this morning's biggest upgrades and biggest downgrades by firms you know and stocks that you likely own. We begin with Citi initiating coverage of Plug Power. It's given the company a buy rating with a $13 price target. Citi says Plug has positioned itself at the center of the hydrogen economy and has a strong customer relationship with its customer and a path to profitability. Looking at shares of Plug Power, they're up more than a half a percent this morning. Piper Sandler is raising its price target on PayPal to $80 per share. It says it is encouraged to see margins on a higher path despite slower revenue growth in past years. Looking at shares of PayPal, down more than a half a percent this morning. And Wolf Research upgrading Simon Property Group's rating to outperform. It says the stock is currently trading well below its historic discount for its overall coverage. Looking at shares of Simon Property this morning, up almost 1%. All right, turning now to the state of freight. The Dow Transport's falling yesterday, 
breaking a six-day win streak. But over the past month, the index has more than doubled the performance of the S&P 500 and the NASDAQ. On the first full trading day of the second half of the year, transports weighed down by UPS. So in concerns over contract talks with the Teamsters Union potentially falling apart. The state of the freight market continues to be a source of debate, whether it's a leading economic indicator and how the biggest companies in the sector view the current climate. XPO, it's a leading trucking company and logistics company with a customer list that includes GE, Ford, Deer and Dow. Mario Harik is the CEO of XPO and he joins us now in a first on CNBC interview. Mario, good morning. Thanks for being here. Good morning. Thanks so much for having me, Frank. So, Mario, give us a sense of the supply chain. Where is it at right now? What direction do you see it going in the second half of the year? So, Frank, what we're seeing from a demand perspective is uh, demand is, is obviously slower this year than where it was last year. We saw the trough in terms of shipping demand uh, be in the month of March, and things have slightly improved in both uh, the month of April and, and the month of May. Now, when we, uh, when we uh, look at our industry in less than truckload, shipment counts are down year on year in the high single digit, low double digit. Now, at XPO, uh, the last uh, published number we had was for the month of May, but our shipment count was up 2% on a year on a year basis. But that's driven by us gaining market share and shipping more freight for our customers. Mario, are the Fed minutes? The Fed minutes show the possibility of another hike, maybe even two more hikes. How does that impact your business for you and also for your customers? What are they telling you about this increased cost of capital? Well, first, I mean, obviously, higher rates uh, do uh, dampen the overall demand environment, both from a consumer perspective as well as in the industrial economy. Uh, so it does slow down the economy as a whole. Now, we have seen uh, overall, uh, and obviously these rates go up to counter the impact of cost inflation. Uh, cost inflation in the month of May was the lowest it's been since the end of 2021. Uh, and in our industry, we typically counter cost inflation by having uh, very strong pricing, given the less than truckload industry has uh, effectively a small number of carriers uh, that manage a lot of freight for customers. It's capacity constraint. Uh, what we're hearing from customer on the rate side, again, it's dampening demand in some cases, uh, both retail and industrial, though behave differently uh, based on these rates going up. All right. So increased cost of capital puts some pressure on your business. Uh, what about recession concerns? A lot of people look at transports as a leading indicator of a possible recession. We just mentioned transports have actually outperformed over the last month. Do you believe in, and what are you hearing from your customers about the potential for a big economic downturn? Are they preparing for that or right now are they enjoying what seems to be a continuous wave of consumer spending? It's tough to tell what the back half is going to do from a macroeconomy perspective at, at this point. Now, what we're hearing from our customers, today, two-thirds of our customers are industrial companies, and one-third are consumer-slash-retail type companies. On the industrial side, uh, we typically look at the ISM index. When Usually, when it's below 50, it's a deflationary manufacturing environment, and it's been below 50 for, for roughly about seven months. What our customers are saying, some of them, depending on the sector uh, in the industrial economy, uh, they, they, uh, they are expecting a slightly better back half, while others are expecting a slower back half. But it's mixed signals on the industrial side. On the retail side, there is a different dynamic with inventory destocking. Uh, we usually uh, interview our, or uh, survey our customers on a quarterly basis where we get feedback from them. And more than two-thirds of our retail customers said that their invent inventory levels are where they wanted them to be. And that obviously leads to more shipping uh, as, as you fulfill or replenish that, that inventory. Uh, for us within the company, we continue to invest okay. in capital into the business uh, to make sure we can capitalize on, on the freight markets recovering at some point. 
All right. One other thing I have to ask you about, Mario, are, are labor issues. Uh, yesterday we saw UPS decline on concerns that their talks with the Teamsters are breaking down. We've seen some issues at the West Coast ports in both the U.S. and in Canada. What are you hearing from your customers when it comes to concerns about labor issues? Are they preparing for possible disruptions in the second half of the year? And if so, how? Uh, well, first, we, we wish them the best as they navigate uh, these, um, uh, these uh, tough times. Uh, when I think about customers, usually any disruption in the supply chain leads to uneven flows of freight demand. So, so you won't have a consistent flow from customers as they ship goods through their, through their supply chains. And they usually, uh, obviously, as a carrier, uh, we're there to support them by investing more capital in our business. Just to give you an idea, Frank, this year we're going to add more than 6,000 new trailers to our fleet. And this enables us to service more customers and serve them more effectively uh, over time as well. Would any labor disruption, especially on those West Coast ports, would that be a tailwind or a headwind for your business? Well, on the short term, it would be a headwind uh, whenever these disruptions are happening because you have less freight flow coming into, uh, into the country. Uh, but, but at the same time, uh, that would be followed by typically uh, a, a high demand environment from customers uh, where providing the capacity for customers become, become very important. So it's a combination of both, but disruptions usually mean that we need to partner closely with our customers and we're usually there for them to support, support that business. All right, Mario Harik, CEO of XBO, thank you for your time. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me, Frank. All right. All right, coming up here on Worldwide Exchange, the one word that every investor needs to know today. Stock set to face another potential day of losses. Our next guest lays out why she's taking the glass half full approach to the markets. And if you haven't already, follow our podcast. If you miss Worldwide Exchange, check us out on Apple, Spotify, or other podcast apps. Much more Worldwide Exchange after this break. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Time now for your WEX wrap-up. Six stories you need to know before the opening bell. JetBlue says it will end its partnership with American Airlines serving the U.S. Northeast region after a federal judge ordered the carriers to end that agreement. Venture capitalists are funding fewer startups, especially at the earliest stages of a company's life. That's according to new data from PitchBook. In the U.S., investors financed just over 3,000 startup funding deals last quarter, about 30 percent less than a year ago, and they spent about 50 percent less cash in the process. OPEC secretary general says his alliance is on the hunt for new members, Without naming any names, he says any new member would have to be a net exporter with similar goals as OPEC. Samsung Electronics is expected to report a 96% plunge in its second quarter profit from a year ago. This according to new forecasts from analysts. The world's biggest maker of memory chips, smartphones, and TVs will report those results tomorrow. And more Manhattan homebuyers are paying cash than at any other time on record, according to Bloomberg. About 65% of purchases in the three months through June were completed without any financing, up from 57% in the first quarter. And Subway announcing an $80 million plan to bring deli slicers to all of its 20,000 U.S. restaurant locations. To celebrate those slicers, Subway is offering up to 1 million free six-inch subs at participating stores on July 11th, same day as Prime Day. All right, getting ready for the day ahead, a slew of economic data on tap this morning with weekly mortgage apps, back-to-back jobs data with ADP employment figures and initial jobless claims. We also get ISM services figures. We're also watching for earnings from Levi Strauss and some fresh Fed speak from Dallas Central Bank President Lori Logan. And we continue to monitor Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen as she kicks off her visits to China and meeting with leaders there today. Those two pieces of jobs data today, a must-watch for investors ahead of tomorrow's big monthly employment report, taking a look at how markets are stacking up. Before today's reports are released, taking a look, markets under pressure, down about a half a percent across the board. 
For more on the trading day ahead, let's bring in Lindsay Bell, Chief Strategist at 248 Ventures. Lindsay, good morning. Good morning. All right, so Lindsay, got to ask you, what do you make of the Fed minutes? What we heard a very hawkish Fed. Uh, the majority of Fed members actually advocating for two more hikes this year and cuts pretty much off the table. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I think the market was kind of surprised to see that uh, there wasn't the, that unanimity that we thought there was. But I also think the market's not really surprised. We have already priced in the expectation for two more rate hikes this year at about every other meeting going forward. So I think that's not the surprising point. I think the Fed thinking about a potential recession, a mild recession at the end of the year is, is obviously concerning. And then their concern about China, especially after the economic data that we got this morning, is also also concerned, I think, putting pressure on markets this morning for sure. All right, Lizzie, I think you said concern about four or five times there. So with that in mind, what is your WEX word of the day? Well, so my word of the day is actually calm for the trading day ahead. I know we're down pre-market, like I just said. Um, but w- this is a week that is a shortened, holiday-shortened week. Volumes are low. People are, are really waiting for the jobs number tomorrow. We got through the Fed minutes yesterday. So I think that uh, I think today could be a calm trading day as we're in a wait-and-see mode for tomorrow. All right, so if today's calm, where would you put money to work at today? We were mentioning The transports just broke their winning streak. And again, futures are under pressure this morning. Yeah, no, today today is a great day to put money to work if the if the market remains under pressure, at least through through the mid morning. Um, One area that I'm going to go the opposite direction, Frank, one area that I'm kind of avoiding at this point in time is the financial services sector. It's a sector that's been, you know, it's underperformed year to date, down one percent versus the up 16 percent of the S&P 500. Um, And a lot of that has been due to the mini banking crisis that we went through earlier this year. But my concern with this sector is less about that and more about how they're going to make money going forward. Because the reality, Frank, is is that we're in an operating environment where the yield curve is still inverted and deeply so. The Fed's not done raising rates. And, you're, and, and the expectation is that rates are going to remain higher for longer, which doesn't bode well for credit quality. You're already starting to see loan losses increase. You're seeing reserves being taken, okay. albeit at, at all reasonable levels at this point in time. But earnings for this sector have been unreliable for five quarters in a row. We're expecting a couple more quarters of earnings declines. And I think with the overhang of the commercial real estate, real estate potential crisis, uh, I think it's, it's just hard to get excited about this group right now. So financials are where you're staying away from. Uh, we've been talking about the possibility of more rate hikes. How do you feel about tech? We've seen a bit of a pullback. Is this a time to maybe buy into that pullback? I do think there's still opportunity within the tech space. Of course, the valuations have gotten quite lofty, but I think that's partially because earnings haven't kept up with the expectation for AI. And I don't think it's just tech that's going to benefit from AI. I think overall, the market in general has has the benefit of productivity gains to look forward to when it comes to AI. And there's this major uncertainty related to it uh, and the new technologies that are coming about how it's actually going to impact profitability and numbers because we don't know how quickly it's going to be adopted right. and we don't know uh, how, how what the magnitude of that's going to look like. So I think there's a lot of opportunity here. Okay. Uh, there's Lizzie some Bell. of it has been priced in, but there is there is more opportunity. Thank you very much. I appreciate the insight. Got to go. All right, let's do as it for us here on Worldwide Exchange. Squawk Box is up next. Thank you for watching.
You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC. From pit lane to podium, the Las Vegas Grand Prix is providing fans a race day experience at the speed they deserve with the help of T-Mobile for Business. Our 5G advanced network solutions are powering race day operations with event-wide connectivity. From streamlined gate entry to an immersive app, giving fans blazing fast access to the sport they love. This is accelerating innovation. This is the Las Vegas Grand Prix with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. 